Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We have another stop along the Oscar race checkpoint as we've been doing, well, at least half of us here have been doing some actual honest-to-goodness film festival attending, and we will bring you the ins and outs of the New York Film Festival and some of the stuff they have to offer on a first-hand account from co-host also Mike here. I am co-host Mike One. Okay, so this is an Oscar race checkpoint that I've been looking forward to for a while. Uh, we're going to finish the show probably with a half hour of, uh, yeah, my account from the film festivals, some reviews, more more of a first reactions kind of thing because I, like, mm-hmm. I'm binging these movies, you know? So Literally. Yeah, I don't feel as if, like, it's fair to, like, review them the way people are reviewing them. I, I don't understand it. So we're, you're going to get our kind of talk radio version of a film festival anti-critic report. that's why i think that's kind of why we like calling ourselves pundits more than critics even though we do play the critic role but yeah boy do we 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 have problems with some things some critics do like i'm tempted i'm tempted to write the tweet of exaltations after each movie <laughs> i i am tempted to do this and i wonder right. if i'm shortchanging our audience and our following you know we got thousands of people following us for some reason but i don't know if they want that I mean, they you're go- shortchanging my ability to make fun of you by not. That's doing right. It, is That's what you're right. Doing. I am. But you're going to have ample examples to make fun of me uh, at the end <laughs> of this episode. So it's coming. And the first looking forward. The to first it. area is the fact that you know I want to eat this first trailer title, and you know I probably will. Create- and I had an issue with it to be honest, because I, I, licorice pizza to me sounds disgusting. <laughs> What's disgusting about it? I mean. Well, what, so what is the, the base is a red vine just covered in sauce and cheese? I don't want that. Frosting, good. <laughs> Stew, good. Meat, good. Meat, good. Yeah. yeah, it's the trifle. No, I think, I here's, well, here's the, here's the, the, the really disgusting part. Like, mm-hmm. I love a pepperoni pizza, and Same. I don't love red licorice. I love black licorice. I'm a Oh, that Italian. is gross. Now yeah. it gets gross, but now it's sweet yeah. and savory. You never know. Mm. Like, almost a bacon pepperoni black licorice pizza. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make it. I'm going to report. All right. So, again, we're finding our lanes here as a podcast. <laughs> Us creating four years. (laughs) We're finally finding our lanes. We're finally finding our places in the space, right? And us creating an honest to goodness licorice pizza and eating it for our social media following. That's that's somewhere where we can make our mark, Michael. I will not partake in this abomination and affront to God, but uh, we can talk about the first trailer for the movie Licorice Pizza as we talk about a few contender trailers here, Michael. Paul Thomas right. Anderson's latest. Yeah, Paul PTA. This cast is loaded, mm-hmm. uh, much more loaded than I thought at first glance uh, because we knew it was Bradley Cooper and a bunch of high school kids, right? High school yeah. in quotes. But we'd be wrong if that all we thought it was. I mean, this is Ben Stiller, Sean Penn, Maya Rudolph, John C. Riley, Benny Safdie, Tom Waits. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is Mary Elizabeth Ellis. Mm. And that's even before you go to 
you know, this next generation of potential stars. I mean, Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman are leading uh, a cast of talented young actors. Yeah, we were just talking about Cooper Hoffman's spitting image of his father, uh, Philip Seymour, once upon a time in this trailer especially. Paul Thomas Anderson's done a lot of work with the band Haim in the past decade. I know know he's directed at least two of their music videos. I think it's actually more like three or four, but I'm not positive. Mm. But for me, he's taking Alana Haim from the music world, bringing her into his film world. I think that makes a lot of sense. And this trailer, it's got a very Boogie Nights-type feel to me in terms of the mix of cast because, like you just said, there's some big-name veterans that look like they may be in smaller roles. They're mixed with some up-and-comers or the next wave of like Hollywood royalty coming in, which includes a leading performer who's right now best known for their work in music, branching out into film like he like PTA did with Mark Wahlberg once upon a time. Yeah, it's it's a sex crazed plot in the trailer, right? Mm. I mean, they're all I mean, they're kids, they're high school kids. It makes sense. These kids are perverts. They're all <laughs> No, I mean, we, I work with high school kids. I know that they're all obsessed. Obviously, we were all. It just is what it is, right? You work with so, high school kids and you're inundated with a film uh, a film festival right now that is just chalked the gills with sex. Just <laughs> nudity, constant nudity. I am uh, I am feeling feelings that I probably sh- <laughs> shouldn't be feeling in when I'm dressed as nice as I try to dress. Anyway, Is that car giving me eyes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hot car. I'm just going to say it right now. But no, I mean, this makes some sense. And this also explains the Hollywood principle of casting 20 somethings or in the case of like Greece in the 1970s, when a lot of our film critic pals grew up. <laughs> casting 30-somethings as uh, high school. So Dear Evan Hansen is not the worst offender. And look, this movie is honestly playing some of the same games. Alana Haim is 29, Michael. Cooper Hoffman may be 18, and he's not the milkman's kid, very obviously. He's very obviously Seymour Hoffman's kid. Uh, They're acting like kids and goofing around, sounding like kids and playing the part. I had to... I was surprised when I realized she was that old, but she's old. But it's a bright line test, isn't it? Like, either you look younger than you are or you don't. And Ben Platt, not to make this about Dear Evan Hansen, but Ben Platt is a man who looks like he's 40 to me. And you can put all the curly-headed wigs and all the oversized polo shirts on him you want. (laughs) That's a guy who looks like a creepy old man cosplaying with high schoolers. I'm sorry. And Alana Haim, older than him in real life, she she looks younger. I mean, she's believable to me. She looks younger. She's close. I think that's pretty universal, right? Well, the thing is, she may not be in the school. She may just be like an older that's friend in too. the neighborhood, yeah. too, because she's palling around with Sean Penn in the trailer. She's, you know, giving the, the guy faces because he's a child actor. This is about Hollywood kids, and I, I love that. I mean, it's going to be a unique high school setting. Yeah, it's 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 Hollywood. In the 70s or 80s, we have Bradley Cooper. Somebody pointed out Bradley Cooper playing the part of the producer of A Star is Born, I think the last iteration back in the, the 70s with awesome. Barbara Streisand. Uh, so somebody, I forget who it was again, but I just saw somebody on Twitter was like, so if Bradley Cooper wins for this, does does that mean he actually won an Oscar for his role in A Star is Born anyway? <laughs> I thought that was a nice little uh, joke there. But yeah, <laughs> I'm excited for this. It's a cool premise. That's what I want out of film Twitter. I want meta jokes about yes, movies me I've too. seen in the last four years. <laughs> me too. With my favorite stars attached. That's what I want out of film Twitter. We need to do more of that, mm-hmm. uh, and that's who we should emulate. But all right, let's let's get into this trailer, I guess, because you know Evan Hansen, uh, <laughs> Ben Platt, because he doesn't look old that old in real life. But his controversies aside, 
let's talk about this trailer because I loved like the elements of it. It's just montage, just beautiful montage with David Bowie's life on Mars, the Hollywood high school thing going on. I've been listening to a lot of Ramones. Uh, we got uh, rock and roll. High school, the the famed L.A. band, the Ramones. Aren't they New York born and bred? No, I confused in my dad jokey brain. Rock and roll high school and Hollywood high school. Oh, and I okay. thought that they that was the song name. But I've been I've been on the train a lot, folks. I'm sorry, but look, yeah, yeah. it feels like a billion o'clock to me, folks. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I picked the right day. <laughs> picked the wrong day to stop puffing blue. Yeah, I can't even get an airplane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in trouble. This is not good. Not a good sign for later in the episode. But all right, Bradley Cooper is revealed. He's the hot shot actor, and then he's trying to big time this Cooper Hoffman kid. But he's an ass, and he's just fixated on the pronunciation of his girlfriend's name dropping name barbara streisand are you kidding me just playing his role from uh wedding crashers it's just that guy got (laughs) fat and bald basically he got fat and bald and he's in some scenario where he's breaking car windows later in the trailer so funny too he looks so funny doing it loved it so we have scenes like that. We have scenes like Sean Penn. Is he an actor in the film? He's driving down a golf course on a bike yelling, you know, catchphrases. I, I just love this trailer because it's that mixed into the just kids being kids. Uh, and and it, and it has this crescendo with the song. I, I'm a huge fan. Your excitement for all things Paul Thomas Anderson is admirable, too. I mean, you feel about Paul Thomas Anderson movies the way I do about Michael Myers, the serial killer movies. Yeah, he's my guy, and you are basically a groupie for, like, a serial murderer uh, Mm -hmm. in in real life, like Mm -hmm. a true crime groupie. Well, we all have our vices, don't we? Uh, I, I, I I, I don't know that I'm as excited as you, but I'm very, very excited for this. I'm excited we get it on the calendar that it's like it's going to play this year amongst this award year and it's just going to add to the oncoming rush of greatness that we could have in store from us uh throughout mm-hmm. the fall and winter season here for the oscars calendar yeah and i'm excited about eating a certain candy top pizza it's this i don't I mean, are you gonna actually use marinara sauce is that no i'm gonna buy a pizza and i'm gonna put black licorice on it that's what's that's, happening that disgusts <laughs> me that, but here's the thing I want to put a lot of black licorice on it. I don't want to just put a little. You should be in jail. This shouldn't. This is not legal. Uh, Spencer, I won't Mike. do it to your favorite pizza place, though. Oh, just, just stop it. All right, Spencer, you're right. It's time for Spencer. How do we do these trailers back to back? I guess if you're going to be stuck in one location, like this palace in, is this the Scottish Highlands castle getaway? Is this their Skyfall for the royal family? I don't know. I didn't research it. But this, uh, I watched an episode of The Crown last night because I had to after watching this trailer (laughs) and finally studying it. So I just, the Balmoro, is this their, anyway, cinematography, costumes, production design, makeup and hair. No doubt about it, right? Unless like, this is an all-timer great year. Like, what we see in this trailer from Spencer, these are real nominations about to happen that would have been nominated on last year's card, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's catnip. It's stuff the Academy always goes for, too. Those kind of period pieces, royalty, uh, the Downton Abbey-type feel. Yeah, this is, God, this, is, this is stuff that makes a lot of sense to be seen nominated lower on the card and below the line before you even get to what's obviously going to be a, a performance for the ages, supposedly, from Kristen Stewart. But what I love about it, I'll tell you, is the contrast from a show like The Crown, which is all, you know, huge crane shots and stuff that Mm -hmm. feels very much like prestige TV, whereas this, 
it feels like you know you're on the ground with a handheld camera and it's tracking shots and it's 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 very different in terms of the style so we're going to get something unique here and it, that was the way Jackie was shot you know you're on mm. the ground with these celebrities humanizing them because of the style of film which I, I I love and I can't wait to experience so this is not a movie I was going to go to the Hamptons to see it I can't do it it's just impossible it's playing like <laughs> at 10:30 in the morning in the Hamptons that will be a I have to stay over in a, in a hotel, and I can't I can't just do the hotel for two nights because why would I go for one movie anyway? This has been back and forth in my head because I'm finally getting out there again for film festivals. The world needs you to be a vlogger. You, we need to have the Mike, yeah. Mike, and Oscar vlog channel, and you just need to go with like just you can t- slowly become me and just speak your mind and the stream of consciousness into a right. camera, and just wa- we can watch you unravel mentally. But instead of, yeah, instead of wasting your time on a podcast, uh, but I, look, I, it's playing at 1030 in the morning on a Sunday in the Hamptons. That is my only chance to see it three weeks early. So mm. basically, I'm deciding now to see it three weeks later because I'm too much of a uh, a, a wimp to go see it. <laughs> don't want to spend Hamptons hotel money. I think that's I don't probably... Probably an okay decision, by but I'm you. tempted, right? Because of these trailers, because of the Kristen Stewart factor, and this trailer's given us what I want to see. At least I want to punch Charles in the face, and then I want to hug him. I, I want I want to be scared of the media, and then I want to rage against them because Kristen Stewart drops that line, "Will they kill me?" And you're you're feeling for her, feeling just awful uh, at the sight of you know all these paparazzi just clicking away at her yeah i I thought i I thought at first the do you think they'll kill me line was her like taking a shot you know of trying to break the tension have some levity about the royal family being upset about their divorce and then Mm. you said it was about the media and i didn't even think of that and if you recontextualize and think like that like my stomach dropped that's such a heavy thing if she actually knew i mean it is an all-engrossing and an all-encompassing feel to this movie which i guess is already a success in its own right because i felt nothing but rage for diana while watching this and then I had to take myself out of it and be like, wait, this is, you know, a movie, not an actual, <laughs> like, we're not actually seeing Diana go through these feelings, so, but it, it did its job on me. I definitely was emotionally invested just from this. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I'm almost tempted to go back online, see if I can get that ticket at the hands on the ass. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm that excited for this movie, so, we're, Neon, Neon's just winning this festival season, I would say. More on that later, but, uh terrible segue to the Netflix <laughs> section of the program <laughs> because uh, the Tudum International Film Fe- Festival, Michael, uh, sponsored by Netflix, uh, they released multiple trailers and clips. Red Notice, Don't Look Up, two clips there. Uh, the Harder They Fall, tr- a trailer. Do you have any takeaways uh, fr- from the clips, first and foremost? Uh, Red Notice is going to be something that all of us watch because it's, at least from the clip we got, it's exactly what we pontificated we were going to get from the trailer a couple weeks ago anyway it's just three gorgeous people doing fun stuff in an action movie that's over the top and ridiculous and you know i want to see gal gadot throwing ryan reynolds into glass cases of things and and the rock (laughs) put getting his captain america on with an ancient shield that's an antique that shouldn't be taken out of the glass that he (laughs) is able to smash with his elbow so yeah i think red red notice is exactly what we expect it to be yeah the rock has to create just 
bull in a china shop levels of damage mm-hmm. to priceless museum artifacts in a movie. We saw this in the right. Fast series. He he's found his niche. He knows his lane in life, uh, unlike us. And uh, that's what we're getting in this trailer. I I really love that scene. I'm 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 almost afraid that they showed such a great scene in the movie. So either the movie has more goods to deliver, or this is the best scene, and I'm. You know, that, I'm a little scared for that because it's a very funny scene. Well, if that's uh, the best scene they have to offer, then Don't Look Up may have done the opposite because there are a lot of people that were very critical about the the extended look at Don't Look Up that we got. Yeah, but what were they expecting? Like, what were <laughs> like? This is going to be a gallows humor satire. I mean, maybe film Twitter is so up its own ass that they think the Merrill's. <laughs> But seriously, Meryl Streep presidency is something we're all in love with as an idea. <laughs> yes. As Oscar pundits in particular. So is that the rosy-eyed glasses we're watching this with? So when she's playing a satirical character of a dumb shit president, uh, not taking this meteorite threat seriously, it's kind of agonizing to film Twitter at large and we don't like I don't know why we don't like it because I think, you know, the Jonah Hill... Jennifer Lawrence stuff is funny. I think that, you know, the Leo being that grounded force in this and also just being just that wild card in this plot of of having the panic attacks, etc., just from the first trailer is, is awesome. And we, we got this cast mixing it up with this soul-crushing satire. I think yeah, it's going to work. I don't know. Leo being relegated to a guy that nobody wants to actually listen to is an interesting role for him. Like, just the shut up and cast aside type person. And that's in J-Law's there to play, like, the strong arm and make sure that people listen to him and take him seriously. Uh, I, I did like the Jonah Hill interaction with Jennifer Lawrence as well. I can see the... I, I honestly thought, look, if this was anyone else in that role other than Leo, I could see the reason for concern. But... Hmm. You know, I mean, I don't think we're going to get a bad movie here. <laughs> I'd be surprised. Call me crazy, right? Adam McKay, this cast. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope people are kind of lowering their expectations only to be happy afterwards, I guess. That would be good. I, I understand the reason for concern, I guess, and don't look up. I, I don't really understand any reason for concern for the second look from the harder they fall. I, hmm. I can be anywhere with this movie. I mean, the second look was a little different than the first trailer, but... I It just looks so freaking cool that whether this is, like, an action movie on the Oscar level of The Fugitive or whether it's an action movie on the ridiculous of, like, a shoot-em-up, I don't think I, I care either way at this point. I'm going to watch it. I agree. I'm going to watch it. I will say that there is one red flag, and it's the music. I really did not like the on-the-nose music. It almost seems like a song created for the movie, which, mm-hmm. knowing the director was a you know, a, a force in the music industry yeah. for years. I wonder if he just created a new track for this film, but the, it's a song talking about gunslinging in a mm-hmm. gunslinger movie trailer. Uh, I think they could do better you know, than that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like the song. It, it was bothered me. I would like to see Idris Elba and Regina King actually become real life outlaws. <laughs> I think that's just something that like our reality deserves anyway. So they have the presence. Yeah. Let's just say, nailed yeah. in this movie yeah they they could totally rob a train and rob a bank right. and 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 we're very afraid of uh idris elba just walking off the the train there in that slow motion setup that we've seen for tw- two trailers in a row now and i love the fact that they're the big bads here and now and imagine get- if you're on the train to the new york film festival tonight and like idris elba just <laughs> moseys on up and is like this is my train now you'd be cheering him 
Uh, yeah, I would. It yeah. would be his train now. That right. would be that simple. So the the fact that we get the Jonathan Majors, Zazzy Beats, R.J. Kyler versus Elba King Stanfield plotline, and that we <laughs> get this Western showdown in the second trailer, I'm relieved. Right? I mean, that's that's a true Western shoot 'em up plot setup, and now we got it for the harder they fall. Yeah, right. A, a variety of things offered and a couple looks into a couple different uh, movies that we're excited about and ready to see coming from Tudum. Which mm-hmm. I wonder if there's any regret calling that film festival or that whatever online festival, whatever Netflix is classifying this event as. I wonder if it's not going to be too dumb in the future because it didn't seem to catch on. But who am I? I don't know. Uh, let's talk about some news, Mike, affecting the world of film at large. Yeah, let's pivot to something serious because this is some hardcore journalism that is so necessary in this space uh, from from Hollywood at large that uh, we're not getting enough of, let's just say, and both in and out outside of this story. But OK, I'm. Glad to see the trades covering the story even after the fact, but the IATSE may go on strike. This is the the film crews, essentially, the under-the-line workers, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have their reasons, Mike, that you're going to delve into here. Yeah, this is a ridiculous story for 2021 and for the liberal Hollywood that everyone likes to say is so right. overly left-leaning and blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the proof that that's more of a talking point and and more for show than it is anything else, because I don't know how it's 2021 and we're having issues with labor unions in Hollywood asking for fair wages, asking for reasonable rest hours and, and it being an actual sticking point where they may actually have to strike. But Mm -hmm. you kind of did the headline there for those not in the know, the IATSE or international Alliance of theatrical stage employees in other words, these are the Teamsters, the, the unheralded blue-collar workforce that make any production in film and TV possible on set every single day. They have an upcoming vote. I believe it's this week. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but they have an upcoming vote as to whether or not they should officially go on strike as a result of a lack of progress being made in the collective bargaining negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. So basically, it's the Teamsters and the blue-collar workers against these major studio producers The battle is that the Teamsters are asking for, God forbid, a living wage Hmm. and quality of life. Reasonable rest between workdays are two of the main talking points. There's a bunch of other ones. And the producers union is essentially saying we just don't have enough money to go around to placate these demands. So you could totally see this being a thing. We've seen one Mm -hmm. uh, conception of a tyrannical film director in a never-ending film set production uh, we've li- I, I've lived those myself, and I've I've seen them in every Hollywood iteration of of a movie within a movie before. Uh, so you could totally understand how this becomes a thing, uh, mm-hmm. just on a, on a on an artistic level, right? But sure. never mind, never mind the fact that we're hearing one story after another of late that we actually support. Like we're in favor of these stories of these actors getting their money on the and these directors sure. getting their back end deals and the talent getting paid what they should be paid rather than the suits and like like it was in the the old days of of you know big conglomerates hoarding all the money and it not getting, you know, and then these actors dying poor. I mean back in those days, I mean that's Hollywood history, right? So right. the fact that you Scarlett Johansson deserves to be paid. Let's pay these actors uh their rates but that all also has a double-edged sword there is plenty of money to go around here so this is total bullshit Mm -hmm. if they're hoarding money and just 
doing it the trickle down economics way. I mean, I don't understand how these people are not being paid properly. I mean, they are the engine that runs Hollywood. They are what allows these productions to take place. And if they're being just tragically mistreated here and overlooked and underpaid and overworked, I mean, again, it it doesn't surprise me, capitalism, but shit. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's, it's it's scary and it's heartbreaking. And uh, one of the main reasons I, I just wanted us to cover this is just to point anyone who listens to go follow IA underscore stories on Instagram. Yeah. Um, that is the IATSE. It's it's kind of an anonymous account. It's an anonymous Instagram account that receives discrete firsthand stories from those below the line workers and other members on ver- various big budget and major studio sets and give their feelings and their retellings of how unfair the practices and the expectation of work has been on those sets. And some of the stories are just gross. I mean, there was one such story yeah. that talked of, a, of an IATSE teamster who literally died during production, which the producers responded by barely acknowledging the day after that person passed mm-hmm. and just kind of went on with business as normal. There was another such story that stuck out to me that there was a Teamster who was given a box of five separate Rolexes that were worth tens of thousands of dollars by a producer and told to go give those Rolexes to the producer's friends and hand deliver them. And this is the same type of producer who's saying there's just not enough money to go around as he drives home in his big luxury vehicle. I mean, it's just it's it's hypocrisy at its finest. Yeah, there's X. And it's it's dripping with, you know, uh, what we were talking about, the trickle yeah. down economics, hoarding, just it, it, yeah, it, it's a problem. It's, it, a, it's, it's a huge problem. And it needs exposure and it needs people to know about it. And, and the more people that know about it, I think the better it'll be for the IATSE in their negotiations anyway. But uh, I urge anyone, whether you are uh, somebody in the business uh, and on any level, if you're a teamster, a director, a pundit, uh, even just a fan of movies. Go follow that Instagram account. That once again is IA underscore stories. Just, I, I think knowing and supporting is kind of going to do a lot. This is the type of thing, in, like in many labor disputes, where it seems to be that the little guy is looking for a voice. Yeah. And if we could all help have that, help them with that voice, it's only going to make it for a better situation for everyone. It's going to make for better set life too, quite frankly. And better I did movies. Re- better movies as well. I agree. And I to to some people's credit. I mean, I did see there was a story recently about some producer who uh, wrote into that Instagram account and saying this was stuff he had never thought of or considered before and how scout locators get to set way too early and he never like took into account their quality of life because it's just they were too far down the chain, essentially, and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, how dare you ever think that way and think you're above, you know, how, how can you not think of the little guy? But that aside... If it is doing good, if it is broadening the horizons and the reach or the the sight or the consideration of the people in powers of all the haves in the industry, I think that's a good thing in the long run. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think uh, I think a cohesive film set is uh, something that uh, will benefit the film at the end of the day. I think, yeah, I mean, you need every every set, like every sports team needs drama in a way. But if you're, I mean, if you're if you're just overburdening regular people that that drive your film production that right. is a major problem and if it gets to the point of desperation that is a huge hypocrisy that film journalists should be focused on more than they have been more than they are and i i for, to be honest i'm dismayed that it takes an instagram account to to have the the voices of the regular people in this industry be heard and it doesn't it doesn't happen uh at, at, at a journalism level like we like i'm sickened by the fact that 
Hollywood journalism is something touted and rewarded and given Peabody's and, and given given uh, uh, Pulitzers and we're you know we're covering this industry in a pundit way and we're trying we're we're trying to aspire and, and learn from the business and here's this hardcore journalism story that needs to be covered mm. that journalists cover in every other walk of life and they're ignoring this to what to just more film promotion to the to those ends <laughs> yeah i mean it's gotten you know uh, to 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 a couple of people's credit the you know indie wires covered it pretty well there's Deadline. been some stuff in the hollywood yeah. reporter you know yes. i mean it's it's gotten more exposure now than had it had this type of story happen in the past which i'm sure it has already but, but this is right, what journalists should be digging yeah. for absolutely by and large it, it, it's worthy it, it deserves and demands more coverage than it's gotten i absolutely agree i know and this is like you feel helpless as a quote unquote pundit and i i we're assholes because we're not out there covering it. So it's not like we're helping the thing. We're just criticizing it over the top here. So, yeah, I mean, we, we all deserve criticism. We mm-hmm. all deserve the fact that we don't know that this is going on and that, yeah, it's it's a huge black eye on the industry and it needs to be fixed. Hopefully stuff that can change for the better uh, as far as other changes that have happened with the award slate in mind. The DGA announced some changes for just this year. So basically day and date is going to be eligible uh, this year, they they backtracked at the Directors Guild to allow the day and date releases. Mike, you 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 kind of research this as well. Yeah, they're saying they are temporarily altering the rule for the DGAs this year because uh, it wasn't going to allow day and date. It was going to be strictly only for theatrical exclusives, uh, or theatrical openings, and they are backtracking that, which is basically just saying we don't want to disclude Denis Villeneuve. We don't want to have him suffer for being for WB doing what they did and putting their slate on day and date, which is, I think, understandable. Uh, it seems this is from Awards Watch. Eric Anderson does a great job over there. Uh, it seems like the DGA is saying that is, this is only for this year. And the cha- the main change is kind of two cog. Date and date releases can be eligible for DGA awards so long as the film has a qualifying theatrical run and mm-hmm. is marketed as a theatrical film. And the lawyer in me would just love to see that last part litigated in the court of pub- public opinion. Right. Like what what films are actually being marketed as theatrically as opposed to not that are on day and date releases. It, it's very frustrating here because the directors have been the most outspoken uh, in favor of cinema, in favor of movie theaters. Right. And this is kind of hypocritical of them to back down in this one small area where they were standing up. Oh, I like that. I <laughs> right? like that. But it's I also mean, it's also not the I mean, Denis Villeneuve. David Chase is the same. Like these these guys don't want their films on day and date releases. They don't. But yeah, so they, I mean, everybody's looking at us. All right, so we're penalizing them, and they're they're right. aggravated. Yeah, I get it. I'm just saying they were kind of in this small way needling the machine here. Yeah, you're right. A little bit, and now they're backing down on it because I get I, I get I, resistance is futile in that regard, and it wasn't really a sticking point anyway. It wasn't going to change anything anyway. I get why it happened. I'm just saying it's it's not a great look at the end yeah. of the day. Anyway. Well, speaking of not great looks, let's talk about the box office. <laughs> the box office is down, Mike. Uh, I thank God for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That's still number one. Fourth week in a row, is it? $13.1 million. Dear Evan Hansen came in second, 7.4. That's solid. I, I don't know the production budget, but that you know may still be profitable at the end of the day. Free Guy 
is hung tough in this top five, 4.1. Candyman still making money, 2.5 last weekend. Cry Macho dipped, I don't know, 60% from 5 to 2 million. Uh, at number five. So truthfully, I'm a little sad to see that a lot of the new September releases like Blue Bayou, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Malignant, they didn't hang tough in this top five at all. And Free yeah. Guy and Holdovers like Free Guy and Candyman are still here, which is a testament to them, but not a good sign for like September and what it was supposed to be. So we can't have October start soon enough. Uh, and I guess we, we should take a moment to, again, tip our hat to Shang-Chi and the, and the testament of that film, making money and, and really stepping up four theaters. It's up to $363 million at the worldwide box office. It's officially surpassed Black Widow as the highest grossing film of the COVID era in theaters. Good. Uh, Domestically, about, right. Yeah, about $200 million of its total box office is from the domestic side. Uh, mm. So that's somewhat of a sign of life. And it's, I think it's also worth remembering that the film doesn't get the benefit of playing in the Chinese market. Not yet, yeah. So it's currently getting $160 million plus internationally without the benefit of playing the biggest foreign film market there is to play. Well, that's going to happen, or did I miss something? Where the... I thought they banned it. It's not something we covered. I just read it in passing. I thought they banned it because of things oh, that, no. uh, that were said by the, the lead there, by Shang-Chi himself. About, oh, no. Uh, but I, I could be wrong. I, maybe they, they backtracked, but I, I don't think it's going to play China, at least as of today. Uh, that's... Again, I, that's me speaking out of turn just off the top of my head. I didn't yeah, research we didn't research. Well, all right. We, we got another Oscar race checkpoint to yeah. do at some point, and yeah, we'll have to go back and look at that. Uh, Dear sorry. Evan Hansen can't be a win. It can't, like, you can't, I don't know, I haven't been tracking the, right. the numbers or the production budget or anything. This is a half-ass box office report from me well, in particular. Usually I could do some of this research. I didn't. I was going to go see Dear Evan Hansen this weekend. I honest to God was, and then I just didn't. <laughs> I, I, I like I didn't ha- do anything else. I just was like, ah, eh. right. So, it's not our fight necessarily. We're not the big musical guys. We never have been. Uh, we talked some shit, but we we were also measured about the shit that we talked about him looking old, even though we talked some more of it this episode. Right. Because it's, immediately we said like this is just Hollywood being Hollywood. This always happens. Right. But there's also something. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> we complimented it's, it's... him for looking great on the premiere red carpets. <laughs> Did we not? The man looks great. The man looks youthful. He looks like he's 27 or whatever he is on the red carpets, which is why but it's silly in the movie. The 7.4 million opening that Dear Evan Hansen did, it, it's it's like 3 million better than what Cry Macho. You can't tell me that 3 million better, 3 million dollars above Cry Macho is going to is a great number for Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, I, I don't know what the budget was. Yeah, was it was it this fifty million dollar budget that has no hope now, and they're going to rush it to PVOD? Well, we're going to have to see. I mean, if this is respect all over again, and they rush that to PVOD because yeah, really it suffered did. in theaters, well, you know, we'll, we'll find out, Mike. We'll find out because at the you know edge of its theatrical window, it will hit the twenty dollar PVOD, so it can capitalize on its continued marketing uh, campaigns. So right, in, you know, sooner than later. So right. we'll find out. All right, let's get to the main event and bring Michael Buffer in here and get ready to rumble. Uh, Let's talk about the New York Film Festival. Mike, you have gone uh, on numerous nights. You are going to continue to go. Uh, I have not. You are a better person than me, but also slightly crazy, as you are actually going the Uh next two nights for a single showing because you are committed to the craft like few other people in this industry. Uh, So good for you for that. It's reckless. No, because it's it's a three-hour commute each way for me, at least. Right. And I'm a jerk. I'm going to literally get on a train tonight uh, very late to see Benedetta, 
which I don't really even want to see anyway, but, but because there was a protest, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going to be the it movie of the festival. I'm a jerk for not seeing it. I saw everything No, I, I, I don't think you're a jerk. I think, I, I, honest to God, I admire you, but it's just, it's nothing I could do. I can't even fathom doing it. It's, I think it's nuts, uh, but I'm in far it worse physical condition than most human beings anyway. So, no, you are. Uh, it, it, I would be afraid for you if you had to do the walking. <laughs> and the, the, here's the thing, the extra walking, like I am making rookie mistakes again. As a well, New York, all right, let's start there. Let's start there. So you you are from I mean you went to college. You had a lot of formative years in the city in New York. You're going back there. You say you're making these rookie mistakes because it's your first time actually gallivanting in New York in a little bit. Talk, how's the experience been? How's it been being back in the city? Give me a little lowdown. Well, it's it's moments of craziness. It's like the hurry up and wait scenario of New York, mm-hmm. and I am confusing the shuttle and the seven train, and I'm I'm fucking up I'm, ah. I'm, I'm missing my trains uh, in connecticut and i'm taking the wrong i'm having to like call an audible last second and i'm buying peak tickets when i could be buying off peak tickets it's all this mm. stuff that's like rankling me and then you get out of the subway and you're like in this magical fellini movie where he's just walking <laughs> in the dead of night to the all of these beautiful vent, you know, uh, sculptures and and world wonders because you're walking around the Lincoln Center Opera House and I, I've made it a point to just do this kind of center myself and take like a five or ten minute walk between every screening after each Q and A uh, and maybe I'll grab a slice of pizza maybe I won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I was going to ask will. you, have you picked up nicotine? Is nicotine addiction a thing yet for you, or <laughs> no, is I'm that off. tonight? Maybe I'm off. I quit after. Okay. I've been quit for. Since last September, right? I, I quit cigars. Oh, you, uh, that's right. You were in this. Well, you like cigars, but I, I imagine you go walking around the city. You said Fellini movie, so I feel like you right. have to have a cigarette in your hand. I do not. I do not. Okay. I grab a slice of pizza instead. So I just <laughs> okay. I got to keep my weight up. Licorice on the pizza? No, go ahead. Not yet. Not yet. Maybe I should though. Uh, that would be a, quite an experience. And imagine if I just sat the in the throng. You take the slice from the guy and you snap up a Twizzlers in front of him and sprinkle it on. <laughs> Mike, there's like this Hamlet bunch of steps from like the Shakespeare mm-hmm. in the park outside of Alice Tully Hall that go mm-hmm. up. Imagine if I just grab a full fucking pie of pizza and just like <laughs> slap black licorice on top and make everybody watch me eat it and eat the whole I'm thing. I'm Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> that would be like the equivalent of just setting yourself on fire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is not going where I expected. All right. Look. I've had this, you know, uh, very up and down experience, I would say, in terms of the travel. Because some of it's nice, and I'm listening to audiobooks, and, and some of it's mm-hmm. fun, and it's taken me back to my school days. Because it's been like, it's been 10 years since I've been to the festival. And uh, it's even more celebratory and than I remember, let's be honest. Because, like, New York Film Festival, it, it's not necessarily their brand to have an eight-minute standing O at the end of every film. Which it, ha- I'm heartbroken by. And this was one of the tweets, and it really it hit me in a funny place when you said that they're not big on standing ovations. Because did right. you... Did you come prepared when the movie no. ended? Did you go into your watch app and like hit the stopwatch thing or no? I did after the first movie. I was right. able to because I was like in this little nook and cranny of of a seat at Alice Tully okay. Hall, which is like hundreds of people in there. Mm-hmm. And I was able to without 
distracting other people, kind of predict the ending of this first movie that we're going to review in a second. And then I could, you know, tabulate the, the, the time to an exactitude. But with every other movie where I'm sitting like in a beautiful seat in the center or whatever, if right. you take your phone out, you're a jerk. Yes, so I have failed yeah. everybody. I have failed everybody. I am. So a hypocrite. have there been standing ovations though? Yeah, Tatan had oh, a standing ha- okay. ovation, and it's XXX minutes long. I don't know. I understand now. I understand now how people fuck it up. I understand now. <laughs> how is it three minutes? Is it four minutes? Is it five? How long was the credit song? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I sh- what was the credit song? So you got you got to look up the credit song. You got to ask, or you got to flash your eyes to the You know, to the the clock on your phone because then that you could do quickly. So if you don't have a stopwatch, you can't do it. So I need I, to like yeah. bring my track coach stopwatch. Yep. And if you're sitting next to somebody yep. who's beeping during the tonight's screening or tomorrow night's screening <laughs> that, you know, you're sitting next to me. It's uh, not the electric the vibrator that the nun is using in Benedetta. It's just also Mike timing the standing ovation. Right. So to, I think that's important. Yeah. To a 10th of a second, which is where, exactly. where you're supposed to do it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I'm going back to Benedetta tonight. Uh, I'll be seeing Red Rocket, and then I got like the heavy hitters coming. So this is like the international film section. This is the you know the oh hello New York Film Festival can you know pervert section. Of, yeah, of I was just gonna reviews. say this Here is what you're getting the movies where something fucks something out of the way before you get to Wes Anderson, right? That's right. Um, so let's run through what you have seen thus far. Your first film was the animated feature Bell. I'm gonna assume this is a biopic about the protagonist from yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Terrible uh, setup. Terrible. By the way, this is the least. Per- this is a kids movie. God. What does she fuck? No. no. Uh, the <laughs> the English subtitle of the Dragon and the Freckled Princess. Bell is a follow up from the director of Mirai, which was Oscar nominated? Do we have a potential Oscar nominee again on our hands with Bell? I think animated features wide open. So I think the uh, short answer is yes, because cool. this is easily, this was my first screening noon on a Saturday, and this is easily the happiest audience of the festival so far. I mean, huge laughs, which I did not expect. Hmm. The place was roaring. Uh, you get a lot of applause during the movie. And then a few screenings later, or maybe it was the next screen, I don't know. But the director of the festival is introducing the next movie. And he's gushing about how many people thanked him and his crew for screening Bell at this film festival, which is not something I've heard in any other introduction about the previous film. It's not something I've ever heard from him before. Uh, so I do think he's genuine when he says, wow, the, the fans for this were passionate and they were passionate at the screening. Interesting. Not something I expected. Mamoru Hosada, uh, Hosoda, my apologies if I mispronounce that, the director and writer of the movie Bell there. So it's something that connected with the audience that you were around. The highs are high. They... Well, that's that. That's why I think, I think the animation is just glorious. I like this is easily the best of the year so far, and that's that's some high praise because wow. Ryan the Last Dragon, Mitchell's versus the Machines, what we've already seen in the Encanto trailers, Mike. I mean, this is some beautiful artwork that's going to be on the screen in the animated feature category right now. But Bell does it on two unique fronts. Like there is a story framework here of just like kind of regular middle school kids who have this plot line outside of this virtual reality simulation. So there's two like dueling plots. And on the one side, the you have modern Japan animated to ratatouille levels of detail with like Pixar did it 
you know, cartoony yeah, you see that in, on the IMDb on the IMDb page alone. It looks like downtown. I don't know if that's oh my God. whatever city it is, but it looks gorgeous. Gorgeous. And I was I watched uh, The Wind Rises last night, Studio Ghibli, because I've been kind of catching up on anime watching. It's, it's definitely a hole in my movie watching life. And mm-hmm. I, the animation is always beautiful in these, you know, prestige anime properties, but it's not like this level of detail. This is like Pixar soul. This is right on. And then you have the anime style character characters walking in this like natural setting. So that's gorgeous. But you also have the ready player one Ralph breaks the internet virtual reality world where these main characters essentially play out a beauty in the beast style plot line which oh, wow. you wouldn't think would work but somehow it does and i i do think the highs are high in this move, movie because the emotion emotional scenes the big scenes in this movie this director just nails them one after another like i'm feeling i'm on the verge of tears i i just think they nailed the big scenes and sequences the songs are great because you got this musical going on uh inside of the virtual reality i i, I i'm really pleased with like the big you know, uh, scenes of the film. The problem is, Mike, <laughs> there are levels of exposition dumping that are just, just out of control. Like it, this uh. movie is so overstuffed, and it the the exposition is so audacious that you would be proud almost. It's just like every, <laughs> like the, there's just a montage, and you're introduced to like 17 new characters in between the big scenes. And look, if you went to the bathroom, you'd be completely lost. Like. <laughs> Like, uh, like I'm, I'm cackling at the audacity of these setups when they're happening. But then this movie's so strange because you're humbled by the emotional payoffs to the setups in the scenes that follow. So uh, it's a mixed first first reaction from me in that regard. But like I said, you know, the the perception that I get is that this movie could contend. Bell could contend. Well, you're doing a good job of selling it, I think at least, and it's not something that I've seen yet get a ton of praise and not a lot of people have gone crazy about it in the film festivals yet. So uh, it's nice that you can shine that spotlight on it. So bell sounds like it's worth your watch. You have bell, you put that in your canister, you walk around the city, you get your licorice pizza, then you go (laughs) ready for your second movie. Uh, You went to see Bergman Island, the much ballyhooed and promoted Bergman Island by us. Uh, The director and Vicky creep, creep, crepes. Yeah. It's not crepes. It's creeps. Creeps. Now I know. I'm a creeps are in the house, though. They're both there. Uh, and they're saying how this is an island in Sweden and it's really haunted by the ghost of the three time Oscar winning filmmaker. Did Bergman Island meet your expectations? It exceeded him. I'll be honest. And it wasn't an easy watch experience for me because I am literally in the front row. So I am craning my <laughs> neck. Like, you would have just cried and left. You would have laid on the floor, I think. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. You would have been uh, Nicolas Cage in Adaptation, just laying on the floor. Larry Bird. <laughs> you would have been Nick Kroll as Larry Bird. You were like, no, nope, can't do it. I, I'll see I the top half of the screen. I you, Magic Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been you, uh, and I would have just, you know, patted your head or something on, on the ground. Uh, it's a good movie! <laughs> <laughs> I'm craning my neck. This is not ideal. And then there's like this couple next to me canoodling. And the whole time canoodling. And this is a steamy mm. movie. Like there's sex scenes. Oh my God. I, weird. It's just really weird uh, to be a single moviegoer next to them in the front row where I got to kind of spread out a little bit. I got to get the angle on the screen. Not good. Plus the, the uh, subtitles for the both of these first two movies were screwed up. 
Like they screwed him up. They needed a third line. Oh, they were cut off? Yeah. So not this movie, it didn't hurt as much because there's not a lot of subtitles, to be honest. Most of it's in English. But Bergman Island had some stuff going against it early on. And then it has like this act one that's kind of this meandering, slower to start act one with Vicky Creeps and Tim Roth. They're both like filmmakers on this pseudo retreat for her and like a film festival tour for him where he's screening his movie and she's writing hers. And it's like this writer's retreat where they have these dueling tours of the island in act one, this act one getaway. So it's cool as like this vacation film, but it doesn't really pick up until act two which is really cool and and this inspired screenwriting choice where she's pitching the movie she's writing to her husband tim roth so vicky creeps pitching tim roth's a movie and then we get the mia wasikowska anders danielson lee storyline mike which was full of abba and tina charles and steamy romance and it, it really packed this emotional wallop that i was not expecting All for kind of this meta payoff in the third act of Mia Hansen Love's clever screenplay here. So this is like a movie I expected to be like the Oh Hello Guys. Just oh, (laughs) Ingmar Bergman. (laughs) I got a bag of wine. Watch this movie. No, this is this is Bergman Island as a this composed crazy vacation story wedding movie that I just thought was like this directorial showcase for Mia Hansen Love. I, I, I'm I ignorant of her filmography up to this point, and I want to go back and watch all of her movies now because this was like a late screening for me because I knew it was coming out early in October because it's coming out soon, Bergman Island. Mm-hmm. So you, I, I wasn't going to try and see it necessarily now, but I, I, was, I got freed up. My Saturday got freed up, so I added two more screenings. So I didn't watch her movies going in like this next uh, director, so I, I'm all about Mia Hansen Love and one of my favorite movies of the day. The real Paul Verhoeven movie would have been you <laughs> and that couple next to you following each other around the city from screening to screening yeah. until you're just you're the three of you are all making out in front of Benedetta tonight. So I, that uh, might happen. I was I was hoping. awkward there. Yeah. No, and I don't care anymore. I'm just old. Um Do you I'm, think like it, no, it's either my it's either my edge of the seat and my elbow belongs there or her elbow belongs there. It's going to be me or her, and I don't care. It's I'll be awkward. my armrest. It's my armrest. That's right. Do you think Vicky Creep should just introduce herself to everyone in the Radiohead style? <laughs> she could. She I'm could. Vicky Creeps. She would have gotten a laugh. She got laughs, and she didn't want to, want to really say anything uh, in the Q&As. Both of them did a great job, by the way. Uh, I'm, I'm furious that Bergman Island overcame its difficulties for you, and it's that good, and it's something that I have to watch now. I'm, right? I'm, I was really, Isn't that a surprise? Ban- yeah, I was banking on that, not not living up to anything, uh, <clears throat> after all the hype and pomp and circumstance we gave it in the, uh, the run-through. But it sounds like you're two for two to start, so that's a fun thing. I mean, yeah. not a letdown yet, especially after the horror show that was Sundance for you already this year. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be three for three too all right so let's talk about the next movie i've seen a ton of praise for it the worst person in the world yeah uh this is the best actress winner from can renata reinsev and mm-hmm. she's incredible and she was there and she was funny and she, it was great to see her uh anders Danielson lee for the second movie literally in a yeah. row so he came for both screenings that's probably why they were back to back but they also fit together back to back uh in a way so he's actually my favorite performance in this film which is saying a lot because she's so good 
and it, it, yeah, it was that big night, like a real introduction for for this actor for me. He actually probably has the best chance from an Academy level, I would say too, because he's got the big emotional scenes. The uh, well, that's that's obviously what we need to focus on at some point here too. I was going to mm-hmm. wait till all six are done, but you bring it up. So yes, maybe Bell has animated feature legs. Do either Bergman Island or The Worst Person in the World have anything above the line, any of the big six or eight categories going for them in terms of an Oscars possibility? Screenplay for The Worst Person in the World, I would hope. Uh, I don't know if it'll go beyond that with international feature because I typically see that branch, that branch is going to vote the artsy movie it's gonna it's gonna have their favorites right it's gonna vote a name or two but it won't vote all the names typically some of the names that are nominated at the golden globes don't make it to the best international feature oscar right so they'll have Mm -hmm. a name in there they won't have all the names so it does need the grassroots campaign the worst person in the world and i could see this movie being left by an older academy or an older branch because this is about a 30 something trying to figure their shit out and I love the directing style. I think it's like this Noah Baumbach, Greta Gerwig kind of new school coming of age film that I want to see, but I don't necessarily know if the the old Academy would go for it. So does this have crossover appeal? I'd be surprised. I I really would. And I think this is going to disappoint some people, unfortunately, because I I mean, I like it like they do. I think this Mm -hmm. is, this is a cool ass movie that has some of my favorite scenes of the year and huge sequences, huge sequences to fall in love with in the worst person in the world. Now there's also the squirm factor. There's the cringe factor for some of the rest of the movie. Uh, And yeah, I just think it's a refreshing take on the thirties coming of age film because you know, you get this movie in Hollywood, very cliched. And then you also get it like done as a, Judd Apatow comedy, right? Where the guy is trying to figure his shit out, and he has this. So it's a tongue in cheek. I'm. I must just be the worst person in the world type movie. No, that's the thing. This is like a, a an epic way of telling this woman's coming of age, right? And hmm. there's a love triangle, and there are these big ways of 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 big sequences. Like literally, there's this wedding sequence that has you had no idea was coming. It's the best sequence in the movie. I, I can't believe that he pulled it off. And then you got these artsy sequences later. And then there's a, a right turn in the plot that you weren't expecting. So this really is, this really is, uh, you know, this Noah Bombakian style film where uh, you don't get, you don't get the formulaic what you're expecting storyline of like, oh, Seth Rogen's got to marry her now. <laughs> I don't know. Well. <laughs> All right. Uh, as far as things that you don't get the expected from, mm-hmm. sure, the worst person in the world may be a little surprising. <laughs> the Romanian film titled Bad Luck Banging uh-huh. or Looney Porn. Did we get what we expect from that title in this movie? One. And follow-up question, what? <laughs> yes, and <laughs> I agree are my two answers. Uh, Why did you pick this one? I'm hearing it come out of can, and this is where I get mad at the can audience. So this is where they're just like, you know, perverts. This is just <laughs> look, look. Pick a title first of all. But I don't hate this movie, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. I don't hate it for the pornography. I don't hate it for the Act One or the Act Three, the prologue or the Act Three. I didn't hate the beginning. 
I hate the middle hour of this movie. Hate. Uh, and hate is a strong word. I like I'm not hating this because I'm the prude you think I am. I'm hating this movie because she's walking around the fucking city for no reason, doing meaningless errands for 25 boring minutes. Some of the most boring in my life. And then the middle section, Mike, the middle section of bad luck banging might be what Alex in a clockwork orange saw with his eyelids <laughs> taped apart in a you know, in his reconditioning ser- sequence. Uh-huh. Because I don't think they just showed him atrocities. I think they showed him unfunny, simplistic, ironic juxtapositions, one after another, that this audience, and I thought I was the easy laugh in the theater. No, this audience was the easy laugh in the theater. I was I was appalled for them. Because this is, like, I'm the total party pooper here. I didn't laugh once. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, can I get on an earlier train? Thank God I stayed, because the third act is really good. But I wanted to fucking fight this movie before that. I was, like, enraged. I was like, I'm staying. I'm going to catch the vomit comment home because Good. of this fucking movie. And I don't know why people love it. Uh, it's just. I'm, not, I'm glad to hear it. I would have been very upset if you came in speaking glowingly about all six features that you've taken in so far. So, no. And I, it, we, we pride ourselves a little bit on being people that like like to keep it real and not exactly fall in line and just fawn over all the things that everybody seems to fawn over all this, all at once. So I'm glad to see something struck you in the wrong way. No, I want to fight and kill and bury this movie for that middle fucking hour. I can't have oh, that hour see, back. We'll see if uh, if uh, Thriller can, uh, can or Triller, whatever that <laughs> app is, can set that up for you. You against bad luck porn or what is it called? Bad luck bad banging, luck or, banging or, loony or loony porn is, uh, is the next headline match under a Paul brother getting Good luck, MPAA. all right uh the final two movies maybe the two most well known here we're going to talk about the tan in a second but let's start with talking about the souvenir part two mike a weird double feature to say the least oh you don't say (laughs) this is my sunday so the souvenir part two uh the first one is this you know kind of meditative look at her in a as a film school student in this you know romance with a dubious character let's say played by uh tom burke in the first movie so this is the fallout to her romance to, to the to the love of her then life uh and the sequel how does she get over him in in the sequel and how does she pick her life back up together so great performances from tilda swinton honor swinton burn the mother-daughter relationship here is is terrific and it's all and it's and it's more featured the fact that you know you read about uh, Joanna Hogg and the fact that this is autobiographical really hits you hard and it, and it makes sense because it felt like my film school experience because you have this girl who's just racked with so many heavy difficulties in her life and she's on a film set a student film set and it is crumbling around her <laughs> with all the familiar discord <laughs> and panic that i remember so well which is why i'm doing this and not doing that to this day (laughs) so that was that was fun to see but like this is a slow moving film and i think i'm gonna enjoy it more as i get older because i Mm. honestly i'm crawling out of my skin during this movie probably because of the next movie that i'm worried about watching and staying for probably because i'm out of all the hustle and bustle of the train ride which i screwed up on my second day just like I did the first, I almost missed my train. It was there was traffic, so I had to get another train out of another station. 
So I'm like rushing to get there, and I did get there in time, but to get this meditative drama about this heavy theme and then a subplot about the bitter realities of entering adulthood, probably not the greatest film for me at that moment, which is why I'm not giving a full review. So The Souvenir Part 2, I like The Souvenir Part 1 better. There is a remarkable third act. There is a scene that I'm going to think about for a long time coming out of it, so probably something I'll rewatch on Amazon Prime, which I think is where it's going. But, by the way, every time A24's name got mentioned, applause. It was like Pavlov's dogs <laughs> before and after. That was my big takeaway. A24. <laughs> New Yorkers, big fans of that, That's the best. That's the best. That is ridiculous. <laughs> that's so film festival though. Every like yeah. Literally, every time Martin Scorsese's name pops up for the screening, every time A24 is men- mentioned, oh! hate that really don't like that that's that's not well, again you know well. i'm i'm moody i'm i'm a moody moviegoer and yeah i'm with you on that uh the souvenir part two for what it's worth currently carrying a 99 metascore on 14 critic reviews i would love to know the production story behind it because joanna hogg wrote and directed both part one and part two she must have filmed these close to back to back as well i don't know i i, I really wish i uh I really wish I did more research on the film production because I knew I knew she it was autobiographical. I knew uh, she's very strange in how uh, she doesn't write a script. She she was talking about writing a thirty page treatment essentially, and and hmm. otherwise people don't get a script <laughs> of her movies. So she's got to work with the same crew. She's like it's like a Mike Lee style thing, um, where where she has a totally different anti industrial style for for movie making, but. It's refreshing. It works. She somehow finds it for both movies. I, I know it's a good film. It's just, you know, I wasn't ready for something that slow after just running my fat ass to the movie theater. We got to start clapping after somebody brings up something every time. Like maybe if some, every time somebody mentions Ooh Bowl on this program, <laughs> we just break out into applause. Uh, all right. The big main event, Mike. Yeah. Why we're all here. <laughs> Let's talk about that woman banging that car. To Tan, what were your first impressions after viewing it? I was like frozen, like a screw was loose. Like, I can't, yeah, I guess I should applaud with everybody as well because it worked, <laughs> didn't it? I, I like, I'm not going to review it here in terms of uh, a full review because I want to do that with you. I want to do a f- proper film study because the what's great about the screening to 10, I come away wanting to figure out what the hell it is mike like i don't know what 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 does it all mean like is this a fucked up fairy tale is this uh a, a, you know an allegory is this a fable is this a satire a horror satire is this is this just somebody doing this improvisational plot or whatever and just going any which way they <laughs> the devil tells them to go <laughs> is is it as true to life as we've made it out to be, is it literally, graphically, a woman sleeping with a car? Yes. But, <laughs> no, like, I, I, I mean, that's not a huge spoiler. It's a, it's an mm-hmm. inciting incident. We know that coming in, if you've been listening to our podcast, we've been joking about it going into the movie. Uh, it's in the trailer. It's in everybody's review. It's a premise kind of piece of information there. Now, I forgot some of the other premise information, so I'm not going to mention that again. It's kind of cool right. that we, oh my God, this is this is the movie? And then the movie takes a couple right turns. You're expecting that. It's going to be a Does little... Does it use its blinker first? I don't know. No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. This is a... This is a 40-year-old driver in Connecticut who, of course, won't 
use their blinkers like I still do. It drives me insane. It, usually, you could tell. It's like a... I, I don't like driving in my state, but Michael. <laughs> Tatan is not necessarily going to shock you on the plot level, even though it's going to twist and it's going to turn. You know that going in. So that's where I was like, I was a little surprised that people saying, oh my God, you're never going to believe. Because that's probably not the goods delivered into 10. To me, it's the WTF or the why that we get the things we get. Because on a content advisory level, like I was, I was probably worried that I was going to get grossed out because I was hearing body horror and no, this, I mean, I'm sure everybody's got their limits and their levels and their peccadillos and I'm saying it didn't bother me, but it might bother all of you and maybe I'm the pervert and, and this cinematic version of S and M is something that pleases me. And I'm again, a pervert. The M and S and M in this case stands for Mercedes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So (laughs) Subaru and Mercedes. Subaru. I was just so the content oh, yeah, no this is gonna be a thing so wait but okay if but you thought, so the content doesn't gross you out right it's it's palatable even if it's exceptional but you said the audience applause so it, it fit the room everybody appreciated it well the batshit crazy plot is one thing but just the energy of the movie is another like this is a really talented filmmaker so that's kind of like undeniable like this movie's going to take the turns, but this movie's going to hard charge through it. And, it, and it's dedic- It's committed. It's committed to the fucked up shit we're seeing. And the story's not hard to follow uh, other than one kind of, you know, twist. You, you, you'll, get your, you'll get your bearings about a third of the way through after saying, wait a minute. And then you can follow it from there, even though everything's scary for the last hour. It's scary and weird and you don't know where it's going. But I, I do think the movie is more of a think piece than I expected. And that's why I want to do the film study with you, because I I don't know what it's about. Is it about global warming? Obviously, it's just, just things about cars and cars ruining the planet. I don't know. Maybe. I, what is it about? And and why is it about? And when? That's what I want to know. And who? I am eternally curious. To see, but I'm so scared that I'm just going to hate this movie. You might, you might, because you're predispositioned to go against hype, right? And this movie is yes, overhyped, and this crowd yeah. ate it up, yells, laughs, the most applause of any film. Like to where I wanted to look up the credit song. How long was the credit song playing? Because the applause kept going through the first, you know, towards the end of the first song, and then, which they do at every film, then they put the spotlight on the the filmmaker and the two leads in the balcony because we had them there, Julia Ducournau. And she was dressed to the nines, Mike. It was so cool. Like, that is my one of my biggest memory. Like, she gets up there to introduce the movie, and she's got this blue, like, disco ball jacket, and it's just shining off of every light in the place. And then she takes, you know, she opens it to show this killer black dress underneath. And she's, like, strutting with it. I just thought that was so cool. Uh, I'll never be as cool as her. And uh, <laughs> not cool. very, very, cool. very awesome introduction. So they're very confident uh, uh, French people uh, that were mostly naked in this film. And I appreciate them. <laughs> I am befuddled uh, you've given me no clarity as to what goes on at detent to i be think i liked it. it up yeah no I, I tweeted like 
after the the one tweet I get, I was like, I was like, fuck it, yeah, best picture. I would love yeah, to did. see best picture, but this is like a burn it all down pick for best picture. It's never gonna happen, right? Maybe no. I mean, it's the darkest of dark horses ever. We're gonna have to talk about it. That's this is the, as teasing as I've ever been. <laughs> At the end of an episode, right? For our next next or two Is it episodes. two hours? Is it a full two hour watch? I don't know. Do you as I looked that up? It felt like it flew by. Like it really was a flash. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> I have to I have to see how long it is. Hang on. An hour forty four. hundred and four minutes. Okay. Time and space kind of slow. No, <laughs> it's cease to, cease it's, to it's a movie. It, it makes sense as a movie. That's where I was surprised. Like I thought I, if you're thinking Mulholland Drive here, it's not. You're not gonna go and like you're not going to be like I don't. I can't follow the story. You you will follow the story. It's easy. All right. Well, that that gives me hope. And how accepted it's been. Like I don't. I don't understand how a movie that doesn't isn't about something else and is playing on its face and easy to understand in its story can be so well received when it's about a woman having sex with a yeah, car. Yeah, inciting incident. Woman having sex with a car. Here's yeah. your movie. It's a hot car, though. The poster of, is mm-hmm. a... I mean, if you thought... I was starting to say it before. If you thought we made jokes about uh, fish fucking, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> a, a very, very good job by you. A great rundown of those six films at the New York Film Festival. There's more to come that we've alluded to. Uh, maybe emphasis on come, considering that you're going to see a Verhoeven movie. <laughs> And a couple others, uh, but you do have some heavy hitters. So, what are the what are the bigger Oscar-y contender stuff that you're still planning on seeing at New York? So, yeah, Benedetta, Red Rocket. That's my weekday weeknights, uh, crazy ass showings. Then this weekend, I have the French Dispatch, uh, and then early next week, I got some days off. I'm I'm doing full days Monday and Friday. I got Come On, Come On, Drive My Car. I'm really excited to see those two on Monday. Oh, well, as well as I forget what else I'm seeing. And then Friday, I'm seeing Dune and Parallel Mothers. And then Saturday, I was really excited about this day being added. I'm seeing The Power of the Dog, The Lost Daughter, and The Tragedy of Macbeth. So I'm having a big oh, wow. Saturday. You're going to be a puddle of tears <laughs> at the end of Saturday. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I don't want to write or tweet reviews about it because I'm seeing too much too fast. So it's right. all stuff that we're going to have to study again together. But in terms of first impressions, you'll get them. You'll get them on the pod. Well, there you go. There's a reason to keep listening. Great job by you, Michael. Uh, As always, if we want to hear from you, have you, dear listener, been to the New York Film Festival yourself? Do you know anyone who has gone? Uh, Do you have any highs, lows, or otherwise about anything you've seen there thus far? And what are your thoughts as to what also Mike has run down for these six films that he's talked about thus far from his experience at the New York Film Festival? And most importantly than any of that, what are your thoughts on licorice pizza? (laughs) You can leave us those, as well as any other comments, questions, or concerns about anything you we do, I should say, here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are at Mike Mike and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, uh, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available wherever you hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on the Apple podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five star review and just do it for also Mike's effort in this episode alone, for the love of God, I mean, giving you all that information and going through all these movies, a hell of a job and a hell of a commitment by you, Michael. Uh, let's get some words of wisdom to end on and what's coming next for the dear. Listeners. Well, the words of wisdom are easy. I love, Licorice, I love pizza. What, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? I, meow mix, meow mix, please deliver. Yeah. I had that ready at the beginning of the show. No problems there. But uh, And it's wise. Look, I think, uh, I think we don't know what we're going to do next episode. We're thinking about a Bond episode that we're, we're kind of prepped on. 
Uh, I think that's what we're doing. Then next week, we're doing Tatan and No Time to Die, which is going to be a lot. A lot of cars. A lot, a lot to do. A lot of cars. A lot of car love. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you're going to Vegas at some point. But we're, maybe we do we get a couple episodes out before you go to Vegas. And one will be my kind of recap on the festival. So I don't know if we're going to do an orc for the next kind of three episodes, it might be the fourth episode coming up where I'll kind of have big, big movies to give you first impressions for people. So, yeah, lot of big stuff on the horizon as the calendar creeps closer to October. And we said, it's going to be a full fledged sprint from then on out guys. When reality sucks, you can come check out what's playing at the New York film festival with us. I guess you can get your perv on too, according to all these (laughs) offerings that they have thus far but we are mike mike and oscar trying to make a port season year round without the stuffiness we will see you all very soon see ya